Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And in this episode... We uh, actually will sit and talk to you about beliefs instead of going there. Oh, that's true. (laughs) That's true. Because someone else went there. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk to someone who's been there longer than we have. So this is a, a rare interview episode. This time we have Taylor with us. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Hello. And uh, Taylor's not your real name, though. No, it's not. It's not. But it's a pleasure to be on your show, Ross and Carrie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Before we go into anything, tell us uh, how you found the show and how you met Carrie. Well, actually, my wife and I, we went to Free Thought Day in Sacramento. We, we didn't know about the podcast at all, but there was a lot of free thinking going on. And, and we saw her in the program, actually, and, and we, I was shocked because... I was like, she's investigated the Mormons and OTO. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I should really talk to her because I happen to have been a member of both of those organizations. Yeah, it was really funny when you came up to me after the talk and you said, oh, I'm ex-Mormon, which we get, you know, a fair amount of ex-Mormons coming up and saying hello. So I was like, oh, cool. And then you're like, and I'm ex-OTO. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because we don't get that ever. Yeah, it seems like they would be two philosophies diametrically opposed. But actually at the OTO meetings, we met this gentleman who had a past in Mormonism. And we thought, what are the chances? Well, here you are. Well, it is pretty uncanny. Now, I will tell you that from your past episodes, growing up in Utah, and I did grow up Mormon in Utah, it's a different paradigm than than growing up here in California. The reason I say that is, and I think this is probably true with other places that have like a dominant themed religion, but there is definitely like a, a community in being not a part of the mainstream religion. And so once you break away, you kind of have to find yourself and where you fit in outside of the dominant religion. And so you got you've got like a polarized culture situation there where you've got a lot of different subcultures that are sort of orbiting around the uh, the core dominant culture there. And that, for me, was really kind of how I found the OTO when I left. So you had already made a decision first to leave the church of your upbringing. You know, when you grow up in the church, you're you're born a believer. I mean, Mm -hmm. you literally go into sacrament meeting and you're two years old and you're looking at quiet books. And these, right. these are little books that have like wait, wait, wait. all of the principles and all of the ideas that you would learn and accept growing up in the church are in a soft felted book that you look at and you touch and you feel and it's a, it's an experience, but it's it's an indoctrination, really. I mean, and that's all well and thoughtful, but we're both sitting here thinking, did he just say quiet Yeah, books? yeah, we want you to tell us about this quiet book. <laughs> oh, it's to keep you yeah. quiet. No, see, that's a great thing because, yeah, so a quiet book. <laughs> Well, obviously, you go to church. And how many kids do you have in your family? Well, we had six kids, eight people in the family. Well, you know, that's not uncommon in a Mormon household. Sure. So you get all these people in under one roof in sacrament meeting, and kids don't like to shut up. <laughs> you know, it's just going crazy. So, so is it kind of like, let's all play the quiet game? Yeah, so that doesn't work so well. So, you know, some of these are beautifully handcrafted by by loved ones. And they're, you know, there's a lot of love that goes into these little books, but that's kind of not very sporting. 
<laughs> in my view, as far as teaching critical thinking at a younger age. Sure. To your deeper point, you really never had a chance to believe otherwise. Right. You know, but as you get a little older and you, you get into your early teens and you start to rebel, as, as most teenagers do, you know, you start to find a little bit more footing intellectually and, and you tend to separate yourself a bit from the mainstream. And it's something that happens. And there's definitely a lot of shunning that goes on when you're not really following the word of wisdom or doing these sorts of things. There's there's definitely, uh, you know, things they call like disfellowship. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to take the sacrament or things like that. And, you know, where that's not really a big deal on the surface that evokes issues underneath, you have to sort of explain that. Why mm-hmm. did you take the sacrament today? Oh, you don't want to talk about it. Okay. Well, you know, it's like this kind of brings this whole thing up to a head to kind of keep the, the strings a little tight. Uh, about how old were you when that process started happening to you? And were, were you doing this in isolation? Was it just you having these thoughts? I was about 15, 16 when it started, and then it continued into my early 20s, I would say. Probably around 18 when I wasn't going to church anymore. So there was a lot of time where you had to kind of live a double life. You would kind of present yourself on Sunday for your folks, and then you would go and live your life through the rest of the week. Seminary, by the way, which is a class in Utah, is scheduled. Mm-hmm. you schedule that for a period. Kids elect to take seminary during that time. So, you know, I would just schedule it right before lunch so I wouldn't go. <laughs> you know, I'd go have coffee with my friends or whatever. And so there coffee. was some... Yeah, oh, hot drinks. Not supposed to have coffee. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that, that gets that gets into that whole hot chocolate thing, which is ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> you you're saying this all as you lift a hot drink to your mouth. I noticed. Oh yes, yeah, that was a hot one. <laughs> what triggered your doubts in the first place? I kind of liked the mystical aspect of things growing up. I was kind of drawn to that. I was like, wow. Nobody sees angels anymore. This is kind of, what's really kind of going on here? This is really fascinating. As I began to dig a little deeper and explore a little more and start to ask questions about sort of the mystical elements of early Mormonism, I began to kind of find out that, hey, you know, there was a whole time era in that location where there was a spiritual revival happening. That's where I was going. I was curious and asking questions about that. And the more questions that I couldn't get answers for, the more curious I became. Getting into that and not having any satisfying feedback (laughs) got me to the point where it's like, you know, you guys don't even know or want to know your history here. It just, it, it, it seemed counterintuitive to me. I think, you know, some of my experiences and sexual experiences even get exposed to that and seeing, you know, wow, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) exposed literally you know i don't know if that's really bad sure i think we both argue that's not bad kind of have that cognitive dissonance feeling there too why should it be so bad if it feels so good yeah i don't quite get that often mormons will try to say that you know the, the reason people leave is because of sin but really it was cognitive dissonance that led me to leave not not the sin you know after leaving that and being interested in mysticism i found the OTO. And so for people who maybe are joining the show for the first time, the OTO is the Ordo Templi Orientis. And how would you describe that? If you had to put it in two sentences, what is the OTO? Let's see here. Um, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. <laughs> love is the law. Love under will. <laughs> well done. Well That's done. Right. I think Ross brought this up in a prior episode too, is that you know anybody who really kind of gets into Thelema, 
has to sort of bend that to mean something that makes sense for them and rationalize it. And to this day, I will say that Thelema did a lot of good for me migrating from the Mormon church. And Thelema is the the core doctrine of OTO, just for people who don't know what the hell we're talking about. It, you know, it's it takes a lot of time to say, do what thou will shall be the whole of the law every time. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, sure. That's, yeah, that's definitely. Shorthand for that. But yeah, I mean, I think that that was a welcome mantra being in Utah as uh, a recovering Mormon. You know, a lot of freedom just to be able to look at a lot of different ideas and things like that and, and maybe believe them or maybe don't. I never really felt a lot of pressure from OTO as far as getting into it. It was just, it was very much like, well, you know, if you're interested in this, learn this and and do this or whatever. But, you know, I made some really good friends in the OTO too. And I still maintain some some contact with the friends and some of them are active and some of them are not. Now, I don't have anything negative to say about the OTO. I, I did find that after a good long while, actually, there were a lot of restrictions and the... Restrictions just sounds funny in context of do what thou wilt. Uh, so the paradox that you you encounter early on, too, I mean, they don't really run from it, but it just becomes more and more visceral in the social group as you get a little bit more advanced and, and move through the degrees. You know, after after a while, I think the big takeaway from OTO and the Mormons for me was it's kind of scary how much groupthink affects people, you know. No, I'm I'm curious, uh, how did you find the OTO? I mean, it, in Utah, is there really that big of a community? There's a surprisingly big community. In, who introduced you to it? Uh, a friend of mine who had been also exploring, also an ex-Mormon. You know, he was a pretty close friend of mine, and so he got interested in it, and we started exploring that together. Interested in, in mysticism and... Naked ladies. Well, that wasn't always a bad thing. So, <laughs> yeah, that that was the other thing, too, that it was pretty interesting is it's a very sexually oriented ritual. One of the things I don't think really got brought up before in the other podcasts is that the mass is really their core ritual and for the public. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's pretty cool. And it's laden with symbolism. You know, it is kind of, you know, like you were talking about with the, the people coming back into the, the clown car. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was that, that made me smile a little bit because I remember when the tomb was you know, not super big, and you had to cram these all three people now, in there. About how often would you be going to a mass like that? Sometimes once a week, sometimes a couple times a month. You know, I never felt pressured or anything by the OTO. Mm-hmm. One of the points I wanted to make, though, is that there's actually two sides to the organization. So there's the EGC, or the Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica. So they, the mass is actually that primary ritual. But there's a whole initiation sequence where you pay dues and you actually right. take these rituals up through 10th degree. I think the 11th degree is reserved for the, the, the head guy. So you would say OTO, it goes to 11? Yeah, if you're if you're the uh, presider of the entire order. Yeah. That's my only Spinal Tap joke. For yeah, Ross is trying to reference Spinal Tap. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it goes to 11. All right. Yeah. So anyway, I did want to kind of just clarify that for some of the listeners, too, is that there is uh, a very and it's very similar, like the first three degrees in particular are very similar to the first three degrees in masonry. Mm-hmm. And so there's this common thread between masonry and OTO and even Mormonism. 
their temple ritual, if you research it, has changed significantly over time. There, there's definitely a common thread. I believe that Joseph Smith was actually a third-degree Mason, right? and that was an important political part of their experience in Nauvoo. I found that very interesting, and it was interesting for me to talk about, too, but nobody who was Mormon wanted to talk about it, so it was... Sure. Something you sweep under the rug. Exactly. It's like, no, let's look over here and do this other thing. So, which, you know, Mormons live a pretty great life. So, you know, I like the way South Park ended their episode. I, I thought that was pretty ballsy and right on the money. <laughs> How does South Park end their episode? I don't remember. Suck my balls, Stan. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Straightforward. Uh, Very insightful. That was the Mormon kid saying it to Stan. Right. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first went to OTO, I went the first time with my boyfriend, and he had like some OTO experience from when he was in high school. And he thought that there are like these crazy sex rituals aside from the mass. And <laughs> Ross and I never saw anything of that kind other than eating these almost sperm cookies. Are there sex rituals that we missed? Uh, probably not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, interview I over. I yeah. haven't been to every every ritual. I mean, I I took a number of degrees. I won't tell you how many, but you know, there's definitely a lot of mystery and you mentioned something in a previous podcast too that really struck home is that the intentional obtuseness of of Crowley when he's doing his writing mm. is mm. it's so you know it's like oh we're gonna have these people just trying to figure this out forever I mean I kept kind of feeling that like and, and I would crack jokes and not get in trouble because you know do it that well and everything and I, I'd done my time <laughs> so I was like come on this this is nope. so you say. You say you can't tell us how many levels you went through. Is that because it might identify you or why Why are you still respecting that? Frankly, I haven't removed myself from the church records yet uh, as far as the ah. LDS church either. It's not hard to stop doing OTO. You just stop going and nobody really... Sure. They don't call you up and they don't send have, the missionaries. Have up. like a little men's group that wants to meet with you, and they don't have the retention down like they have, uh, like the Mormons do. So it's there's definitely some <laughs> some notes to be taken. I guess uh, not really. No, I I don't think they'd be up for that. Uh, you you got to tell us how far you got. No, you don't. <laughs> don't listen to him. <laughs> Fire well, minds want to know. Let's just say that I I, I got to a point where. I'm going to wuss out on it. I'm just going to uh, no, that's fair. Really need to go any further. I, I that's, was... I'll accept that you, I, I can see you, our listeners obviously can't, but I'll accept that you made the international symbol for sort of midway with your hand. Tell us about pocket drainer value. You know, when you were really into OTO, how much of your income were you giving to them? It was a chunk of change when you were, you know, in your early 20s. They have their uh, their national dues listed on the website. It can be anywhere you know, upwards of like $100 or so for for initiation. But that's, you know, and that's just the national dues. So they also have local dues too. And that can just, they're not making bank on you. These, these aren't Scientologists, okay? Right. <laughs> so Okay, just um, wanted to make sure we were right about that. Yeah, I think that's fair, you know, to say. I mean, you know, it's expensive to put on a lot of ritual though, too. I mean, you, you use mm -hmm. a lot of, I, I could see where the money was going. Let's say that I, I accounted for a certain amounts of, of money and to seeing where it was coming from and where it was going at certain points in time being uh, participating and, and being helpful. So I could see that it was not being used inappropriately, at least while I was in office. So. Yeah, it seems like it's cheaper than joining a gym. 
<laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You stop paying your dues. Well, you know they frown on that, but they don't. You know, hold <laughs> you to the contract. So right, <laughs> gym memberships are evil. So you were obviously in the LDS church for most of your youth up until age fifteen or so, and then there. How, how long was the break between that and OTO? And then how long was the OTO experience? I think I got introduced into the you know to the OTO by about like eighteen or nineteen. Okay. You know, I participated, you know, pretty actively for the good part of six years. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and then continued, maybe not so actively for maybe another three or four. Okay. See, now I thought we were up to your current age at that point. You must have a youthful glow. Mm. It's just really warm in this room. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned your family still being Mormon, and that's a really huge issue for most Mormons and especially ex-Mormons bring up exactly what you said. They love their families. They love that that's their sort of cultural tie to their family. But unlike maybe being Presbyterian, which my family ostensibly was, you know, I could maybe stop showing up to church and that wouldn't necessarily be a big deal to my parents. But yeah. not showing up to LDS church seems like a really big deal. So how how is your family currently reacting to you not being part of the church? Oh, they would love for me to come back to the church. The door is always open. You know, when you're ready, come back. You know, like I say, I still haven't removed myself from their records. And, you know, that's out of respect for my parents. Until I've moved on and and they've moved on from that, I'll just leave that be. Do your Christmas cards come with little notes about how they're praying for you? You know, we actually get a, a Christmas letter from one of our family members and it's really long. Yeah, those people who send Christmas letters, it's always the people who are just doing real well in their lives, and they just want to tell you all about no, it. Here are my 14 really, I, new degrees. No, it's more of just an informative sort of letter and oh. everything, but it's just got that, you know, the the nice, it's got the Kool-Aid <laughs> top with it that's very, it's very sweet. <laughs> Do you see any common threads between Mormonism and OTO? Is there a reason that like a personality type that might either grow up in Mormonism or be attracted to Mormonism would also be attracted to OTO? More so in Utah, because if you're in Utah and you're looking for something that will get you pretty much as far away from Mormonism as possible uh, in your free time, uh, OTO is a good place to go. They they will tell you not to do drugs at their functions, but mm-hmm. they, yes, will, they will. But if it's your own time, it's your own will, and you do your own thing. But so it sounds more like the the attraction is that they're so different instead of that they're so similar. You're kind of defining yourself by what you're not. I am not Mormon, right? One thing: if you ever go to Utah, there's a big difference between a Mormon, a Jack Mormon, and a non-Mormon. Right. So Jack Mormon is somebody who believes, but will still drink coffee, treat, you know, maybe an occasional drink or whatever. But a non-Mormon just does not believe the stuff. I honestly, genuinely, after looking long and hard, I, I can't say that I could really ever believe it because there's just prophets become too human after a while. And oh, and the way you brought up the Raelians, the Raelians, that's like, oh man, that's just like, look at how a prophet gets started and what happens socially. <laughs> You've got, you know, this big idea and then you get followers and then you, you know, there's there's some persecution to generally in there, which kind of galvanizes the flock. There's like a formula here. So, I, I mean, I really see that. So then are you going to create your own religion now? Yeah, I thought about it a lot of times <laughs> and quickly dismiss it. So, but Would you join ours? 
Oh, you have one? Sign me up. <laughs> I think there should be more good parody religions out there uh, or parody cults or whatever, just just as long as they don't get out of hand. I think So that, like Church of the Flying L- Lasagna Monster? Yes, yes. And uh, the Subgenius and uh, th- these sorts of things that are very tongue-in-cheek. I'm still not convinced that the whole OTO thing wasn't a little bit tongue-in-cheek for Crowley. And I'll be, I might be a... You know, I'll get yelled at for saying that, but you know, I suspect you're onto something. Yeah, I I think so too. Whenever we would watch those ceremonies, and they were just doing it so perfectly to a T, just the exact little ideas he had. It's hard not to picture him being like, tee-hee, and then they'll walk in a circle three times, tee-hee, and then they'll rub this sword like it's a cock, tee-hee, suckers. <laughs> well, it's, it was a lance to be honest. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> okay. See, this is the kind of inside information we need. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of cool things or fun things, I guess, about the OTO. But, you know, I'm kind of kind of got to the point where it's just done with mysticism and done with the societies that are driven by groupthink. And, and that's something where I, I really had to kind of take a step out and, and really look at that commonality there. Are there still like kind of life lessons that you would say you still sort of uh, apply to your daily thinking from Mormonism and or OTO? Well, yeah, I mean, for me, like the, the do what thou will sort of translated to do, you know, follow your bliss, you know, find, mm-hmm. find something you enjoy and, and pursue it and pursue it well, you know, it, it's kind of an evolutionary thing. It's like, you can't just grow somewhere you don't flourish, you know, you know, that was one of the reasons to move out to California is just to find a bit more of a, a bit more freedom, the dominant culture being so oppressive in, in Utah. But, you know, getting out here, it was really interesting because it was so open. It was it was a bit of a culture shock for us, too. We thought we would fit in really great. And, you know, for the most part, we have. But, you know, I always find that it, it's really hard to talk about Mormon stuff now because there's none of that connectivity of not being Mormon out here. Mm. So when you talk to people and they don't understand anything about Mormonism, or, you know, from where we came from, it's like, well, you say something like, well, you know, Joseph Smith, you know, married his friend's wives when he sent his friends off to go on a mission or whatever, right? And you talk about that, like it's knowledge that somebody might have if they looked into this really obscure religion, though. It just turns out that when you're in in Utah, it's not that obscure, but out here, it's obviously, it's pretty obscure. Hmm. You know, there's a lot that comes with a statement like that. It's like, wow, really? That's amazing. How does I had no idea. It's like, well, yeah, but you say that and you sound like even if it's true, you sound like you're a bigot (laughs) or or conversely, if you say it to a Mormon who knows they don't want to talk about it and they're offended, you brought it up. If you say it to a Mormon who doesn't know and there's a lot of Mormons who don't know any of that stuff, then they're like. You get both sides. They're offended you brought it up, and they don't believe it's true, and so they think you're just, you know, just a total hater. You can say it to us. Well, yeah. <laughs> we really felt that coming out of Utah and, and landing in, in Northern California. Uh, we, we, did some, we did some homework, actually, and it turns out that we moved ridiculously close to Jack Parsons' old house. Ah. Ooh, interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so like I thought of I thought of him as living in Southern California, you know, because he was working at JPL, but he had a place in Northern California. He lived in Santa Rosa. Oh, okay, so maybe he had two places. Ah, interesting. He so, made a deal with the devil. 
<laughs> for two houses. Here's my soul. All I want is two houses. Hey, I'd trade mine for that. <laughs> so I'm curious if if you kind of, part of your identity going into young adulthood was being not a Mormon. That's the thing I'm not. I am one of the ones who left. Did you lose some of that when then you come to California and being not a Mormon isn't a big deal? Yeah, I'm an ex-Mormon. So you miss a little bit of that common knowledge that you're either a Mormon or you're not. And yeah, it does kind of pull at your identity. It, it, it makes you look around and, and think. But you do miss the community of people in the counterculture there. That's another thing that people talk about in Utah is that there's a really big gay community there too. It makes sense when you consider the polarization of the culture. When you moved out to California, did you try to find an OTO lodge and kind of establish a community there? I think I might have like done a couple internet searches. There's some stuff kind of going on a little bit, but you know, one thing that, that kind of turned me off about the OTO after I had a kid was there's a lot of sex and drugs around it. Some of it's totally fine, but some of it's not okay for me to have my family around it anymore. So maybe that's some of my Mormon upbringing coming out. I don't know. Yeah, there doesn't uh, seem to be a good OCO Sunday school, is there? No. <laughs> a lot of different kinds of people come to OTO and experience the mass, and some people got really into it. And I don't know if it's the an environment, a social environment I would really want to bring my kid up in. So. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that would probably go for any organized religion or social group. Community is always a double-edged sword. You you want to find it in good ways and positive ways. Human nature is that way. I was talking to uh, to my wife the other day, and sexual issues are human issues. Nobody has, no religion has a complete license to it. And it seems like you've talked a lot about community and how important that has been in all of these experiences. Do you think you found a community now kind of outside of the OTO and the Mormon church? Kind of, but I, I do see where, you know, we miss we miss it too. We like the area that we live in. We're pretty outgoing. We know our neighbors. From what I understand, from what they've told us is that that's not normal in California. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I know my next door neighbor, but partly because she contacted me on Craigslist. Not in a, not, not that way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You already pointed out a couple things, but is there anything as you were listening to our episodes, both about Mormonism and the OTO that you thought, oh man, they missed this really good nugget or they got that wrong? Yeah, no, I wouldn't call the o- I wouldn't call the OTO Satanist. I know they look that way on the surface, but I think that's just like a, a perpetuated uh, uh, PR problem that they they kind of like, and it keeps them in print, and it keeps them exciting to people who are, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't we, know. We acknowledge it just that they're not feel actually like they're really Satanists, though. Satanists, I think, are are more Christian than they would like to admit. Well, there there was the one point about I've already brought it up. Just that there are two different aspects of the OTO. There's like that public front of the OTO, and then there's the initiation aspect of the OTO, which is much more secret and not public. And that's you know people should know that. I'm not breaking any oaths by talking about that either. I think we did go to an initiation, didn't we? Oh, yeah. So they were baptized. It was a baptism, right? Yeah, yeah, that's also EGC, and that's public. Oh, okay. That's, that's totally different. So if somebody takes their minerable degree, that's like their zero degree. Uh-huh. That's going to happen behind closed doors, and they're going to take oaths, and they're going to promise not to talk about things. I'm kind of glad to hear that, because I felt like this wasn't as secretive and scary as I would have liked. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's yeah. reassuring to me that you can't tell us what it is because maybe you had blood dripped on your head. Yeah, maybe you had to eat the sperm cookies. Maybe you had to eat like 80 of the sperm cookies. Don't say no and shake your head at me. Don't ruin my dream. <laughs> no. So, so would you say you are both Minerva and Melchizedekian as well? So not Melchizedekian. Okay. And I never took that on. I, I, at that point, I didn't feel like I was going to do that. I just didn't pursue it. That's a level of the priesthood in Mormonism for those right. playing at home. <laughs> I just like that they both started with M and sounded really funny. <laughs> no, the Minerva is, is before you take your first degree. Hmm. So it's it's basically introducing you to to see if you get along in the group and everything. So it's, you know, that's kind of like your first step. And you know, some people do that, and then that's usually where people either go one way or the other. You know, it's it's interesting. It was interesting to me, and and believe me, I you know I certainly racked my brain around a lot of the symbolism for many many years, and that was fun. So <laughs> you know, because it is fun, makes for a but, good story if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I don't really have anything negative or tortured to say about any of them i just kind of getting out of the mormon thing was more difficult because it was i grew up in it and how do you get out of it without breaking ties with everybody that you grew up with and love you know you can't yeah and you said you don't seem to hold any like hostility toward either group it seems like it's all like a fairly positive memory with a lot of challenges thrown in so that kind of ties into our last question which is are you glad you were a mormon and are you glad that you joined oto once in your life well yeah i mean i'm i'm glad that i am who i am and i recognize that i wouldn't be who i am had i not gone down the path with both of those experiences you know for better or for worse it's Brought me where I am today, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with my life, you know, my family and everything else. So that's it's a good outcome for me. Be careful about any of them that you get into because you don't want to lose yourself in any group. That's great. Great. Well, Taylor, this has all been really lovely to talk to you. And I think you're definitely the only person we will ever meet that is ex-Mormon and ex-OTO that we'll get to interview. So thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's it for our show. Our producer is Ian Kramer. And our theme music was written by Brian Keith Dalton. You can find us on the web at onopodcast.com or facebook.com slash onrack. And be sure to check out our pictures by liking us. And before we go, we always give our interviewees the last word. What shall you tell the United States and the greater world? If you ever get kicked out from, from another group in the future, just look them in the eye and politely say, Namaste. It's a fun. Nice. (laughs) Oh, Carrie, important update. Yes. I should say that after we recorded our last episode, in fact, the very night we recorded our last episode, yes. I checked my Rob Denman email oh, okay. for the OTO. The name you used for OTO. Okay. Right. And I had gotten an email from Donatello, uh-huh. and he said, you donated money last time you were here. Give me your address, and I'll send it to you. Oh, that's he wa- nice. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice gesture. He wanted, or maybe he wanted my address. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he loves you. But he... 
Love mm. Underwill. Oh. Yeah, he, he wanted to return our money That's to us. That's very sweet, because we made the donation in order to join the event, and then they kicked us and out then, of the event. Right. I see. So, that, yeah, I thought that was a very kind gesture. That so is nice. Just wanted to put that out there, let and, everybody know. And did you let him keep it instead? Uh, yeah, I said, thank you very much. I really appreciate the offer, but it's for the OTO to keep and use. Oh, good. And I haven't heard back. They can uh, use it on then. all sorts of sperm cookies. Indeed. 